welcome to The Resting Pendulum. I am Peter Codius, your host. Our music is under license from scottholmesmusic.com. Season 4, Episode 3. Mental Health, Lower Drug Prices, The Lowly PCP, Democrat-run cities resembling slave owners, and Educarte. Thanks for joining us. This episode was originally intended to present a look forward to 2025 from the perspective of an article that was published in 2010. We found it fascinating, enlightening, and disturbing all at the same time. We have requested permission to reproduce the content with full attribution from both the publisher and the author, and have yet to hear back from either. We are hopeful we will receive the okay soon, and we know you will too, because you're going to find it to be a very worthy investment of your time. Stay tuned for more on that. The month of May was Mental Health Awareness Month. The same month where two horrific events that bend the mind occurred. The outrage came down squarely on Republicans, the extreme right, the NRA, and all Second Amendment advocacy groups. While this was happening, Democrats in Congress and a few states are defunding all support for a police presence in schools. Although not ideal, it is a simple solution to school shootings that can be virtually eliminated by providing one way in and one way out, and then the addition of an armed guard at the one entrance. Yes, it will cost money to refit the schools with electronic door openers. However, when compared to the option, it seems to the resting pendulum a good investment as a starting point. We need to do something. What is left out of the noisy outrage is any common sense dialogue regarding the state of mental health in the United States. When I was a young man in the 60s, and before the woke period, there were mental health institutions that were called insane asylums. A little rough definition, yes, but they were straight to the point. In 1955, a drug was introduced that allowed the mentally ill that dealt with schizophrenia to somewhat function well enough to be released into the general population. That drug was Thorazine. And then came the Bleeding Heart Left's deinstitutionalization movement. Let's eliminate all mental health facilities and release everyone, they screamed. Yes, the, the left always screams when they want to get their way, just like children do. All influenced by a desire to give rights to the mentally ill. Giving rights and simultaneously eliminating mental health facilities, which provide an avenue to be productive members of society, prove to do more harm than good. 
Hindsight, of course, is easy, and that is precisely what we should use as a lesson when pure compassion, albeit understandable, solves nothing and eventually exacerbated the problem. Now we find ourselves in a political fight, and rather than having honest dialogue as to what can and should be done to help those in need, what results from the very same left is predictable, pointing their finger at someone else. As usual, personal accountability and honest dialogue are notably absent from their vocabulary. Recent reports tell us what happened in Buffalo, New York, may have been avoided. What happened in Uvalde, Texas, is a different matter altogether and requires self-examination. Regardless of how these events play out, the blame, as it does often, points directly to bad policies, power, and control. The most dangerous cities for gun violence in the United States have been for decades under the control of Democrats and the left. Yet it is only when a tragic event occurs that they even speak of the violence. How often have we heard since the 2020 lockdowns how dangerous that policy could be to the human psyche? or how being shuttered with no contact with people outside the home, or having nothing to do beyond playing violent games on one's Xbox. The problem in America is our young men, not guns. As far as eliminating guns from the population while ignoring the root of the problem, if the people of the United States of America want to eliminate the Second Amendment from our Constitution, so be it. The problem for the left is that they know that will not happen. Yet, instead of looking for a common-sense solution, all they do is make noise with the only option being the elimination of the rights of the citizens. The bigger issue is the unwillingness of our weak-willed elected representatives to find common ground while they continue to stoke the flames of political divide, while always allowing unstable and violent behavior to morph into blaming the gun. I know where the root of the problem rests. It rests in their bathroom mirror. The people can help by insisting on having better school security, by not voting for extreme district of attorneys, by funding the police, and by demanding more stringent penalties for offenders with multiple felonies. Folks, we can't have it both ways. The deception of lowering drug prices. Here we go again. One more attempt to play the shell game with the American public. How many years and how many politicians do we have to listen to before we finally figure out that they have no intent to lower drug prices? The only tool this group ever seems to rely on is to either print more money or spend our money to fix a problem. The primary problem for those on Social Security that use Part D which provides prescription drug insurance, is the inept manner in which the federal bureaucracy relies on third-party contractors. 
contractors that are often owned by these very same corporations that provide the insurance or actually own the dispensing agent, also known as the pharmacies. Have you heard of the acronym PBM? PBM stands for Pharmacy Benefit Managers. They are the government-selected facilitators that many of us refer to as insurance companies. In real life, they are not, although some of them have been acquired by insurance companies. You know some of them. They are CVS Caremark, OptumRx, Express Scripts. Do you know about their business practices? Probably not. Do you know who else doesn't know? Our elected politicians. That's who. To give you an example of their financial size, Express Scripts is a PBM organization that in 2017 was the 22nd largest company in the United States by revenue. Their 2016 revenue topped $100.75 billion. In 2018, Express Scripts became a subsidiary of Cigna Insurance in a $54 billion transaction. OptumRx is owned by United Healthcare and has an exclusive marketing agreement with AARP. United Health Group is a multinational company that is the world's eighth largest company by revenue and second largest healthcare company behind CVS Health, that is by revenue. They are also the largest insurance company by net premiums. From an AMAC magazine article, in the May-June 2022 edition, we learn a lot about the faulty and manipulative nature of these conflicts of interest. For those that do not know about AMAC, it is the conservative answer to AARP, the exclusive national seller of Medicare supplement and Part D plans from United Healthcare. Every PBM receives kickbacks from the pharmaceutical industry. They then unilaterally decide which pharmacies a subscriber can use, and they punish certain pharmacies, such as compounding pharmacies, for example, and small neighborhood pharmacies, by reducing the amount of the rebates, also known as kickbacks, that they receive for the same drugs, making them non-competitive. At first glance, the uninitiated may think it is the pharmacies themselves that decide if they want to participate in the Medicare-driven program. Yet, that is not the case. It is the agenda-driven PBMs that make the rules. The prescription drug program, also known as Part D, as it is with many other government-sponsored programs, never divulge how they do what it is that they do. You got that? Our government at almost every level is not, nor has it ever been, transparent, efficient, or fully competent. 
It's too big, too sloppy, and too self-serving. We could thank labor unions for much of that. Those that oversee this bureaucracy, also known as the United States Congress, are either complicit or too incompetent to fix it. Simple as that. That being said, in May of this year, the Pharmacy Benefit Manager Transparency Act was introduced by Senators Maria Caldwell, a Democrat from the state of Washington, and Senator Chuck Grassley, an Iowa Republican, that would block PBMs from engaging in spread pricing, arbitrarily reducing or clawing back drug reimbursement payments to pharmacies, and charging pharmacies more to offset federal reimbursement changes. What this bill is attempting to do is to protect small pharmacies from becoming extinct. It's about time. Let's watch to see what happens to the bill when the lobbyists get involved. The lowly PCP. Now, you know what PCP stands for, don't you? It's the primary care physician. Have you noticed how difficult it is becoming lately to either acquire or see a primary care physician? In the next few years, this service may become dominant and provided by pharmacy giants like CVS, Walmart, and others. Why that, you ask? Because a recent survey that covered 49 states and Washington, D.C. showed primary care practices are overwhelmed, with one in four planning to leave within the next three years. That information came from the Primary Care Collaborative in an article published April 19th, 2022. In fact, the same survey revealed 62% of primary care clinicians have personal knowledge of clinicians who retired early or flat-out quit during the pandemic. This critical area of our health care system is virtually ignored by the federal government and receives little financial funding. There exists no federal tracking system for oversight, nor to identify what support they need or desire. Many of them are MDs of internal medicine and unfortunately are not held in high esteem by the profession. Speaking only for myself, I have great respect for my PCP, who cares more about my health than almost all of the specialists I see. This data comes at a critical time when primary care clinicians are working on the front lines of preventative medicine, yet no official database exists to track the number of active primary care practices or clinicians in the United States. Add to this, 36% of primary care physicians report burnout levels at an all-time high. And we are not facing a good outcome. If we as a nation do nothing to slow this trend, it will cause irreputable harm to our entire health care system.
Nearly half of respondents, a full 46%, believe that primary care is crumbling, and more than half, 53%, report that their ability to bounce back from or adjust to adversity has become limited, increasing from 29% just one year ago. Two years into the COVID-19 pandemic, primary care clinicians are overwhelmed with patient needs and are seeing more unresolved or exacerbated health concerns from delayed access to care, which results in longer-than-usual patient visits. They're under the gun from their hospital affiliates and struggling to just make it through. According to the Association of Medical Colleges, by the year 2033, there will be an estimated shortage of up to 55,000-plus PCPs in the United States alone. If you can think about this logically, the United States is aging, and by 2033, it is estimated that the 65-plus age group will grow by 45%. And guess what? Physicians are also part of that group, with a full 40% of today's physicians being there. Due to many factors, it is suggested that burnout alone will make the situation worse. In 2019, the Resident Physician Shortage Reduction Act was introduced in Congress. It would subsidize an additional 3,000 residency positions each year over a five-year period. So here we are in 2022, and I find evidence that as of January 2021, this has yet to pass in Congress. While Congress considers President Biden's college loan forgiveness plan, it seems to the resting pendulum that addressing an eventful short shortage of medical professionals would take precedence over that, don't, don't you think? Then again, we're talking about the U.S. Congress doing something collaboratively with a non-political agenda attached to it. In short, someone in Congress or the White House itself has to shed a light on these overworked, and underpaid medical doctors. It seems that logic, well, here's that word again, would dictate that after witnessing up close and personal what effect a pandemic and shortage of medical professionals can have on the United States, that Congress would consider and then prioritize any attempt to improve our medical infrastructure. Then again, I doubt any progress will be made until the lack of action becomes harmful to the, quote, voter, which will provide a built-in plank for candidates and their platforms. I will fix the doctor shortage. You like that one? Get ready. The ineptness of our elected officials to solve problems never ceases to disgust me. Most of these idiots couldn't even run a snowball stand. But there is a bit of good news. Medicare trustees project the hospital insurance trust fund will run out of money in 2028. The good news is that's two years later than they predicted just last year. Hang in there, you old folks. Democrat-run cities comparison to slave owners. Boy, what a heading. 
Doesn't even sound good, does it? Wow. Yeah, I know, that's a pretty bold statement, don't you think? How often do you hear the left or their mainstream media silent partners accuse the right for being racist? If you're like me, you hear it almost every day, and you're growing weary of the constant accusations. But if we examine the pattern of suppression, we will find the exact opposite is true. In his nonfiction book, The Peculiar Institution, that was published in 1956, author Kenneth Stamp outlines five features that are present in a slave-held environment. First, listen to the five, and then you decide where they are most prevalent in American society. I will make the decision for you. You make it for yourself. Here they are. Number one, the presence of dilapidated and broken-down housing. Number two, broken families. Number three, a high degree of violence. Number four, no one has opportunity or chance for advancement. Number five, nihilism and despair. So, what model of society do you envision when you hear the five? What cities in America are the five prevalent? Well, let me give you a list of but a few of them. Chicago, Illinois. Detroit, Michigan. Baltimore, Maryland. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. New Orleans, Louisiana. Memphis, Tennessee. St. Louis, Missouri, Los Angeles, California, and the list goes on. What do they have in common? They are all tightly controlled by Democrats and have been for decades. Now think about Democrat-run cities in your state and apply the five features of slavery to them. Why? Well, what logical reason can we use to define this phenomenon? Or could it be the result of decades of Democrat policies? Remember the words of my friend, the doctor in New Orleans? It is easier to keep those on the bottom rung of society on the bottom than it is to replace them. It is sad and repugnant at the same time. Yet many black Americans believe the lies they have been fed for generations. That's the saddest part of this. Educarte, a charity in Mexico. As part of adding an element of life in Mexico to the Resting Pendulum podcasts, I'd like to share something that my wife and I are becoming involved in here. You may be surprised to learn that a country that leans left and somewhat relies on socialist-style programs does not provide a fully funded public education for its children, and in many cases requires those of high school age to pay for much of their education in public schools. The cost and requirements change from state to state as the federal government limits their participation to the elementary phase and allows each state to determine how they want to address high schools. 
The reality is that a large number of Mexican families simply cannot afford to pay for their child's education beyond the basic elementary phase, which is fully expected by the government. But if you ever have wondered why Mexican nationals want to go to the U.S. to work, this single fact can provide for you much of the answer. As the resting pendulum mentioned in an earlier episode, we can form a clearly different opinion when we add perspective to our perception. One more example of how Americans take their freedoms and opportunities for granted. Even the poorest in America have an opportunity to get a high school education at virtually no or very low cost to their family. Not so much here. Educarte, the Mexican partner of Esperanca, a charity with headquarters in Phoenix, Arizona, specializes in helping children from families with little means in the city of Puerto Panasco so that they could have access to quality educational opportunities in this community. The word itself says it all. Educarte translates to, to educate or lift yourself up, a phrase that should be repeated and supported in the inner cities of, and pockets of poverty in the United States as well. The primary goal is a simple one. That goal is through education to instill in children the belief that where you start in life does not and should not determine where you finish. The organization's website provides greater depth into the work they do. The Resting Pendulum encourages you to check it out at esperanca.org. That's E-S-P-E-R. A-N-C-A dot org, and click on Where We Work, then select Mexico. By the way, the founder of Educarte is an Arizonan. It's quite an undertaking, but it's building momentum. Over 800 children were served last year by the group. Thank you for listening. And remember, every day when you awake, commit to doing the right thing the right way, for the right reason. Until next time.